Welcome once again to another episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar. I am your co-host, Mike One. Co-host also, Mike, is here as well. Another Oscar race checkpoint for you uh, on this day of, of thanks when you're listening to this. Hopefully, uh, anyway, happy Thanksgiving to you and yours. Uh, uh, Mike, I am thankful for, for you and for MMO and for stuffing, mostly. I am thankful for stuffing for MMO and you in that order, I would agree. <laughs> or no, you put the opposite order. Oh, no, man, that's, that's awkward, be, isn't you can it? You be a jerk if you want. It's only the holidays. <laughs> no, I, I, I love you, buddy. I, I thank, uh, I thank uh, whatever powers that be are out there. I don't believe in any of them, but uh, I do believe... Uh, I do believe we got a good thing going here, and we got a two-part Oscar race checkpoint, man, with all the goods. Like we're gonna review everything mm-hmm. in this episode, and then in the next episode, I believe. So everything will be reviewed. I believe only in David us. Zasloff. Uh, yeah, that's, uh... <laughs> that hurt me. That hurt my stomach. <laughs> All right, let's dive in. We do have a ton of news to review in what will be a uh, basically a two-part Oscar race checkpoint for your Thanksgiving week. And let's start with the Oscars host, Michael. Yeah, Jimmy Kimmel. Coming back for his fourth turn hosting the Oscars he hosted in 2017, the Moonlight La La Land year. Came back in 2018, and then last year, I think it's pr- it's pretty safe to say Jimmy Kimmel saved the Oscars. I think people have said that, right? No, amongst other people, yeah. <laughs> no, I think uh, I think he brings stability. Uh, he seems to be the biggest name who actually wants the job, Michael. Mm. And then, like, it's a don't screw it up year. Where we have popular movies in the mix already with Barbenheimer and and a bunch of other big budget movies that could be nominated, so just don't screw it up. And ABC brings their guy back yeah. just to not screw it up. I saw a meme the other day that was like the guy blinking, where he's like his eyes are open, he blinks, and then his eyes are open, he's in surprise again. And it was like mm-hmm. January, Barbenheimer, and then November, which is how this year has gone, uh, which feels yeah. feels appropriate. But yeah, look, I, I think we've established as far as the Oscars host goes that having a host who knows what they're doing makes the show run smoother and adds to the prestige and why of the event rather than having no host or a first time host anyway like the no host was fine but it felt lackluster and also like we were lying to ourselves because it proved that we still need someone to feel like a host to kick off the proceedings which is what the trio of Tina Fey, Amy Poehler, and Maya Rudolph did that year, if you remember. They came out and they said, we are not the hosts. We're just the people that you're going to see on the cover of USA Today tomorrow to you know, <laughs> indicate that the show happened. So, like, uh, you can't get away with no hosts. And the Wanda Sykes, Amy Schumer, Regina Hall trio was fun, but they proved that when serious, unforeseen stuff goes down on the stage... It runs the risk of the entire show and if not industry going off the rails unless there's someone who can like keep it all together. And fortunately that year it was Chris Rock who had enough professionalism to keep it all together and keep the yeah. show moving. But Jimmy Kimmel's the type of guy who I think could do that and he's made comment about what he would have done if he was in that circumstance as well. I think Kimmel should just be the permanent Oscar host at this point. He's funny, he's witty, he gives a crap about show business and cares about things like Hollywood royalty. He's a huge Letterman fan. He grew up in Las Vegas. But he also has enough of that, you know, 
DGAF in him. I don't give a, a hoot in him to like make fun of everybody and anybody who deserves it, including ABC. And those are the people who have signed his checks for forever. I'm in favor of this. I like him as the Oscars host. Uh, yeah, I, I like Kimmel too. He's fine for this job. I'm not quite as high on you uh, r- r- as you. Just in general, on me. Yeah, Kimmel. I get it. I'm, I'm not as quite uh, high on you. Yeah, right. Again, as did, a person, did I say that correct? Human. Did I say that one correctly? <laughs> you don't we're register with, well with me, is what I'm trying to tell you. But we're going to get some morning. Oh my god, I'm a lunatic right now. We're recording this the day before Thanksgiving, and yeah, two episodes. Yeah, starting off swimmingly, but uh, but look, I think. Jimmy Kimmel's a fine decision here. It's a sensible decision. I would like them to go a Wanda Sykes or an Amy Schumer route in the future. I I would just like Amy Schumer to host the Oscars. And I would have liked Amy Schumer to have just gotten the microphone in her hands and and, and, uh, her ability to just go with it and and say whatever she wanted that year. But the host wasn't structured in the Will Smith year to really pop on and keep the show afloat. With those three, with those three uh, in the saddle for the first time, I mean, I remember us commenting that way. It wasn't structured like a, a typical host. Yeah, and that's where I think the having someone who's done this before and a veteran of the hosting gig game comes in because, as Kimmel said, he would have demanded the producers put him on. He would have like just walked out on stage with a mic yeah. and like he would have gotten away with that. Where, yeah, sure, of course, Amy Schumer, if you're the first time host and that happens on your watch. You're not going to know what the hell to do. Nobody would. So uh, it's better safe than sorry to have someone who's been in the position before, at least for me, to to keep that going. And look, Jimmy Kimmel, there's a first there's a first time for everything. The first time he came up against an Oscars catastrophe, he didn't really handle it that well either. I mean, the La La Land, he stood up there with a constipated Joaquin Phoenix face (laughs) for that whole time. Just like uh, he didn't know what to do either. So, I mean. Right. So, yeah, he could say what he wants to say now in retrospect. but And I hope he would handle a catastrophe uh, the right way. But who knows? I mean, you really don't know until you're put up against it. I just want to come to a time where we're not waiting for the catastrophe. Like, we're still fresh off of those two issues. Like, it'd be nice, like, flash forward 10 years from now, 17th year of Mike, Mike, and Oscar. And we're just like, oh, what's going to be the funny bit this year? <laughs> Yeah, but the catastrophes are what make the show watchable, right? Like from, no, no, from the no, streaker on stage these. to the to the Marlon Brando acceptance no, speech. No, no, that 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 happened used to happen once a millennium or once a once a decade. Those are once a decade issues. But we've had two once a decade issues in the last five years. I want it every year. I just want mayhem. <laughs> I don't want mayhem. I want, I want. Uh, I don't I want, want fun physical assault. I, I'd rather not. Yeah. yeah, I'd rather we stop short of physical assault. But you know, switching right. an envelope every once in a while to announce the wrong winner, I'm okay with that. You're good with the the envelopes. Okay, I understand. Price Waterhouse, look out for the a certain saboteur. But uh, all right, well, we started off with some Jimmy Kimmel news. Uh, we're gonna kind of get to more Oscars news or more awards news with the Golden Globes, etc. in the next episode to tease that. But we'll continue with a Make the Case segment right now, doing some Oscar stuff up top because we've had a couple Oscar contenders release of late. We're going to talk about Rustin in this episode, Michael, mm-hmm. and we're going to keep this review non-spoilers. But I will say this. I thought this was well-produced, edited, acted. Like, the production values are super high. These performances are intense. 
they're they're mostly really good even though a couple of characters are so flat it's hard, kind of hard to deal with but Coleman Domingo has his scenes mm-hmm. George C Wolf knows what he's doing here uh this movie is very paint by numbers in terms of you know the typical historical you know it's not a biopic but a s- historical event time in history brought to life it's very similar to what we've seen in the past and the biggest issue i had with rustin was the exposition like they're just stating the facts well it's tough <laughs> too right you're fighting if you if you're going on the biopic part about this it's it's that he's got to fight not only that he's black but also gay which isn't yeah. giving anything away but like that's those are usually single issue things for a movie for the the main character to overcome so there is such an exposition dump throughout this and it is so heavy-handed because he does have these two unbelievably heavy things weighing on him for the time period in which this movie takes place that like it, it it's one of those instances where i think the man's life was certainly more unique and more uh intriguing than it could possibly mm-hmm. play out on on film Probably deserves a mini series yeah. or an entire HBO series of length to to get to the the core of it. But it still pulls off the catharsis of the film, like when you need it to. Like the the Martin Luther King Bayard Rustin relationship, the the when that pays off, it's one of the most emotional scenes of the the of the movie, and it it it's certainly worth the price of admission. There's no question about that. When the Coleman Domingo and I, I'll I'll say unspecified love interest when that storyline pays off it's a heart it it it, it really it, it gets your heartstrings yeah. and it I, works so this movie does the big things right i just wish they rewrote the script 14 or 15 more times <laughs> <laughs> i as far as oscar's chances i i would like to think coleman's in but i can't find a second nom mm-hmm. that i feel that good about you you're probably right there so th- i thought this movie was vulnerable uh, much more vulnerable than anybody's been thinking of late because you're going to have some major Oscar contenders with legs yeah. in, the, in the rest of the category. You have American Fiction, Jeffrey Wright. You have Oppenheimer with Killian Murphy. You have Killers of the Flower Moon with Leonardo DiCaprio. I think The Holdovers is going to have a stronger overall Oscars case than, than Rustin. That's going to digital However, soon. That could be either, yeah. That could go either way. So we're looking at we're looking at a a tough battle in lead actor. There's there's obviously a few more names involved, but it's it's not going to be easy. If you had something like the holdovers at your disposal, would you put it on digital Thanksgiving week or December, or would you wait till the new year? I'm so puzzled by the holdovers because it seems like it's doing solid business in our neck of the woods, right? Like where every screening we went to was sold out, where the theater average is great. Everybody who talks about it on a podcast is like my my you know all the old people were there, mm-hmm. all of them, not some of them, all of them. <laughs> and like, why is it? Why are they rushing it to PVOD? I mean, I guess they want to get it on Peacock sooner than later. Focus features. I mean, it's just they've that's been their mo for a while. Seventeen, eighteen days, PVOD then get it on standard VOD. But yeah, I mean, Rustin coming to Netflix after a few weeks uh, in, in limited theaters, did this movie build up enough of a footprint on the Oscar season? Obviously, Coleman Domingo is going to get some tri- tributes here and there. I worry. I do legitimately worry about a Netflix bias this year. I do legitimately worry about what kind of 
gravitas your movie needs to have in terms of the Academy to get selected. I do worry about that second nom, like you said. Coma Domingo's vulnerable, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've seen the the lead actor, actress be the lone nomination. Glenn Close, obviously, for The Wife. Captain Fantastic, there, Viggo Mortensen. It's happened before. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't. He's in my five. I mean, he, he's going to be in my performance. five no matter what. It starts out a little a little over the top. You got to get used to him. Yeah, and, I would agree. And you, uh, it's a bit of a caricature in like the first five minutes. But once you realize that this is the guy. But again, and, and you kind of have to, even if the real Baird Rustin wasn't like that, I think you have to do that because he's not, this isn't your typical biopic like you've already said, if it's a biopic at all, in that I, Baird Rustin isn't one of the most top of mind people yeah. You know, he's not a Napoleon, for for example, for another biopic that's coming out, you know, for the award season push here. Like, he's not as well known as some other people that have been the subject of awards biopics. So, yeah, Coleman Domingo, I think, has to do something to leave an indelible mark in people's minds about him. And they blend it perfectly well as the movie goes along. And uh, Coleman Domingo, he, if, again, if you can hit the high notes, sing loud, and he sings yeah, loud he's, and he's beautifully great. as it goes along. So, it's it's a heartwarming non-traditional love story that really works i think uh at the end of the day i'm like a solid b grade for it and i just i take points off because of the script i take points off because of the flat characters like the jeffrey wright chris rock characters just contemptible people that could not have been in those positions if they were such mustache twirling villains it was cool to see jeffrey wright as a bad guy yeah you didn't like that yeah I mean, his it's character fine. is it's what it like, is, but it's just interesting it, to see him as, like, the antagonist. He should have snarled before he said every word. <laughs> he should have been like, Rawr. By should've the way, having Rawr. sex in a Ridley Scott movie is what you're saying. I yeah, you. come on. Yeah. yeah, what are we doing here? <laughs> Wolverine? It's, it's a joke that uh, apparently there's, in, in Napoleon, Mike, Mike saw it, there's a sex scene again, and Ridley Scott's sex scenes have been uh, animalistic lately. Let's yeah, see. we're reviewing Napoleon in the next episode, <laughs> but we'll talk about... Uh, you, you, people having sex mm. like badgers and wolverines <laughs> in both episodes. So here you go. All right, what's next? We have a box office report that we'll get into one more review and then the Marvel situation uh, because, my God, is that a situation. But look, The Hunger Games, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, solid opening, like $44.6 million, uh in terms of the weekend. I think it did 110 worldwide probably getting another one of those especially if suzanne collins keeps keeps writing the books we have trolls band together 30 million in terms of its opening weekend with again 108 total Mm. overseas 90 million dollar budget that should find profitability that's good eli roth's thanksgiving 10.3 million it's surprise number three in the marvel's second weekend the marvel's 10.1 a 77.9 percent even higher mike it's over 78 percent now oh my god unbelievable as far as the drop from weekend to weekend it's a 161.3 worldwide cum after its second or after its 10 days that's on a 274.8 million dollar budget disaster for marvel and for the marvels unfortunately uh five nights at freddy's obviously the big splash opening weekend 78 million it's it's been downhill ever since huge drops 3.5 at number five on that weekend, 271 worldwide for Five Nights at Freddy's. Still a great $300 million hold. box office. That's going to get a franchise. 
Yeah, that's on a $20 million budget. Yep. Taylor Swift, the Eras Tour. I was hoping this would have climbed into the $400, $500 million range, but it's done nothing overseas. I'm surprised at that because I thought she was a bigger international appeal. Right. 175 domestically, 70 million overseas. That's that's nothing overseas. But 244 again for a concert film setting all kinds of records. It's a big deal. Uh the holdovers like we're talking about eight. It's like like 9 million right now and counting. It expanded to 1400 theaters. I guess it's making all its money in Connecticut. <laughs> Maybe that's the play too. Maybe they saw the 10-day run and they weren't happy with the box office results regardless of how many theaters it was playing and they just said, "Screw it, let's put it on PVOD." Well, it did better than Next Goal Wins, $2.5 million. I did go and see this. I'm a big Taika Waititi stan. I, I was very disappointed oh, no. because I really wanted to see Next Goal Wins. It's not a bad movie. It's still a C-plus great at the end of the day. And it, it's, a, it's an issue, Mike, where some of the jokes are so painfully unfunny mm. and weird that you're just you're rolling your eyes. So when the, the mildly funny stuff comes... You're like, okay, great, but that doesn't overcome what you just did, sir. Mm, that's no good. So if you add the fact that this is just a very typical sports movie until like Taika Waititi tries to do something totally different and change the sports genre at the end, like I'm, I'm just so like, why would he make the choice of what he did at the end? I don't know. And hmm. you'll have to watch it. It's not a bad watch. I mean, it's there's good things to say. It's a great true story. I just don't agree with the way he told the final act. So it's like a frustrating finale. And and you're left wondering, like, what we did we do this for? Were they just editing out Army Hammer so hard? Yeah, that's the point I was throughout? going to make. Maybe we should have believed the production issues, like, as they were coming in, because this one had a bit of a production story to it. It kept getting delayed. It, it feels like we were previewing it forever. Uh, then yeah. the Army Hammer Three stuff years. happens. Yeah, so, you know, it, it, I'm not that shocked to see it doesn't land well, even with someone who's as big a Taika fan as you are, but it's still disheartening. It's a bummer because Taika, coming off of his success with Thor Ragnarok and Jojo Rabbit, I think he just had too much stuff to do. He was a producer on umpteenth number of things. He was an actor on all of these shows, right? He's he's been directing his movies and Thor: Love and Thunder and Here Next Goal Wins. He's just and he's been developing the Star Wars movie that didn't work, and then however many other things he's been a like I said a producer on Reservation Dogs. So some of his work has been you know really influential and, and has hit with me like reservation dogs to me was mm -hmm. great thor love and thunder was funny as hell we both thought yeah next next goal wayne suffers here the star wars movie is never going to see the light of i day. wonder i would love to know not that we'll ever i mean god forbid anyone speaks out about what they do with disney but like i would love to know how far down the development these star wars projects get before disney finally says we're axing them I don't know. Yeah, I mean, not but that anyone ever would, but like how yeah. much work and like what went into it and how dedicated to the project was Taika? Like how much of his resources did he have to use before? Like, I, I just, I would love to know any of this, but like, you know, same with Benioff and Weiss's, if that's ever going to go forward, who knows? Same with, uh, uh, why can't I think of, uh, Knives Out guy, Mike? Ryan Johnson. Ryan, yeah. Well, I mean, same with his, that doesn't pa look like Patty it's going to go Jenkins. forward anymore. I would just, you know. Didn't Patty Jenkins? Yep. And she Chloe was tied Shadow at once. Yep. Projects. Yep. Anyway. So. Yeah, it's a bummer. It's a bummer. But uh, what could have been? I mean, Nicolas Cage could have been a long-haired Superman. Hey, still hope. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Michael, uh, Priscilla got $2.3 Killers of the Flower Moon, $1.9. I'm still waiting for Killers of the Flower Moon to drop like on Apple. Like, I'm surprised it's not happening soon. this week. 
Right. I was expecting it to be a Thanksgiving release. I mean, maybe they see another ten million over the, you know, uh, week. Two million dollars a weekend. It's barely in the top ten anymore. I don't. The movie theaters have been jam packed, so people are seeing everything right now. So that's it. This is a meaningful window. Like if you want to just get another five, ten million bucks, you can get it. If you had to see one again, you'd see Priscilla over Killers. I have had the opportunity to rewatch Killers of the Flower Moon. You're just, you're just not. It's not happening. No, I, I was thinking about it, but it's just again, you can't commit the four. It's a four and a half hour ordeal. If you had to take away Parasite's Best Picture Oscar and give it to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, proving me right, or watch Killers of the Flower Moon again, which would you do? <laughs> That's some dilemma you've given me. I'm glad you didn't write the dilemma at the end of the holdovers. <laughs> Uh, we we got to backtrack here and talk about the Marvels. So the Marvels, 78% drop one weekend to the next. This is not a terrible movie, by the way. I mean, I reviewed it a couple weeks and ago. And everybody right? says the same. I mean, everybody, you know, the review scores are out there. The critic scores are high. The audience score is high. It's just that people aren't getting out to the box office to see it. I liked Miss Marvel, the Disney Plus show, much more. And the star, Iman Vellani, she has been front and center of some very healthy comments, I would say. Like, this is the way you're supposed to handle an interview. Uh, you you were blown away by by her poise, I would She's say, as well, right? awesome. I don't know anything about her. I just know that I'm a fan of hers now. So, like we've said, Marvel's gotten killed at the box office and it's been setting all the records no movie wants to set in the MCU. $47 million domestic opening, lowest for any MCU movie. Uh, it's a record previously held by The Incredible Hulk for any MCU movie or Ant-Man for movies made by Marvel Disney. Either way, the Marvel's broke the record low there unfortunately the second weekend box office numbers we've talked about that it's usual for blockbusters to lose about 60 percent or two-thirds of their audience from weekend one to weekend two marvels like we said lost over 78 box office mojo had a 78.1 percent drop from weekend to weekend so yikes but aman valani who's played kamala khan both disney plus's series and the marvels uh, has one of the best quotes when confronted with the news. She talked to Ethan Alter of Yahoo Entertainment and had a great quote that makes her sound like a seasoned Hollywood veteran and not a 21-year-old kid who's having her first brush with superstardom. Quote, I don't want to focus on something that's not even in my control because what's the point? That's for Bob Iger. The box office has nothing to do with me. I'm happy with the finished product and the people that I care about enjoyed the film. It's genuinely a good time watching this movie and that's all we can ask for with these films. It has superheroes. It takes place in Space. It's not that deep, and it's about teamwork and sisterhood. It's a fun movie, and I'm just so happy that I can share it with people. Ah, oh, I love that. It's great. It really is great. And she even went on to talk about, I mean, she was asked about the accusations of the MCU becoming too woke. She was able to handle that question with a plum. She talked mm. about how, you know, when she was super excited about things in high school and she would show it to other people when they wouldn't react excitedly or they tried to be a, a wet blanket on her, it would it made her feel bad. So why would people want to do that for other, like, it's just these very mature responses. And it even put a cynic like me into the perspective of like, you know, yeah, okay. So the Marvels may not do a hundred million dollars domestically. Who cares? It is Bob Iger. It is the House of Mouse. Like these are wildly talented people in Brie Larson, Nia DaCosta, uh, 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 mm-hmm. Villani here. I can't remember Monica Rambo's name. I apologize that off the top of my head, but like, oh, Tiona Paris. Thank yeah. you. Uh, hopefully, these aren't 
these the performance of this movie isn't held against those people by Disney. I mean, I fear it will be because that's the way the industry works. But nonetheless, like like you said to lead this off, it's still graded highly by critics. It's over eighty percent as far as a cinema or as far as the audience score on Rotten Tomatoes goes. It's got a B cinema score, which isn't the greatest, but it's still a B. I, I it's not the end of the world that the Marvels underperformed. Is my point? A lot of the the downward spiral of Marvel as a studio is due to these disappointments, these recent disappointments. So the just like Captain Marvel was boosted by Avengers Infinity War, mm-hmm. this movie was kind of done in with by a string of disappointing It's Marvel indicative films. of a bigger problem that isn't necessarily just the Marvels, yeah. Right, it's serialized storytelling. It really is. So if the last few... Are, are a bad time at the movies for a lot of people, then they're going to stay away from the next one. Yeah. And that un- that's unfortunate, but it's been the case. Like we've been saying, like even the movies that we've liked to an extent, we're like still underwhelmed. We need a coherent through line. And with, and it's Marvel has struggled with that. And I mean, some of it, a lot of it is through their own faults. Some of it is through nothing they could do anything about like the Jonathan majors issues. And are they going to pivot and what's going to happen with that? So, but it's still been a money grab. They've been doing a money grab, say, Oh, we got to expand the world, expand the world, expand the world for 20 yeah. TV series a year and five movies. Cause we need all this more money, <laughs> right? It's, it, it, it is, it, it's been the money grab. Yeah. Uh, the, and they, they're multi, Multiverse, multiverse, multiverse. Look at all these possibilities. And hey, maybe tell, maybe be a little more modest with your your level of storytelling. And not, and yeah, you get you got to shrink it and you got to make the stakes real. We we know this now. We know this now. Even though I liked a lot of their ideas, conceptually speaking, like we really liked when it, when Comic Con announced Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. We liked the idea of doing a horror movie with Sam Raimi, right? We loved the Thor Love and Thunder idea. Natalie Portman grabbing the hand. Yeah, of course. But, I mean, again, there's it has to lead somewhere. Right? Like, especially if you condition... Like, we're, we're Pavlov's dogs at this point with Marvel. You conditioned us that all of these stories are going to converge into one glorious team-up or one glorious major storyline. And that's what we're going to expect from Marvel, I think, going forward. And the fact that you haven't given yeah. us any notion of what that may be outside of a, a couple well, the, here's the hubris, scenes. though. Here's the hubris. Like, when they started the MCU, post-credit scenes were, were all that connected, really. Yes. The, the, yep, the first, you're absolutely right. The first seven or eight movies. Like, when we studied this, we were like, okay, yeah, the MacGuffins are connected, and the post-credit scene will connect the MacGuffins. All right. However, they were telling all these side stories and, and it wasn't going to connect until 20 films later, mm-hmm. really connect with the Avengers. However, once we get those connected films and we realize this is serialized storytelling, you can't reboot things the same way. You better stay connected. Well, and it's a double edged sword because people knew Iron Man. People know Captain America. People know the Hulk. People know the Avengers. As you get into these more lesser-known properties and lesser-known characters, you're go- you have to do a lot more to entice the audience to come in. And if you do end up teaming them up, you got to make us care about the team up. Right, and you got to pay your VFX workers a lot. Yeah, more. please. For you got to pay them God. a livable rate. Uh, so you know the IATSE folks are hopefully going to solve that strike. problem for the everybody. Go on VFX strike. Every- I don't care what union, <laughs> what industry. Just go on strike. 
But it's a shame because they should have a lot of momentum heading into the Fantastic Four, heading into the X-Men. And I, they're they're looking at the Fantastic Four and they're looking at the X-Men to save them now, aren't it they? It feels like a waiting period. Like we're just kind right. of kick, spinning our wheels waiting for these to come to fruition. And as far as the Fantastic Four casting rumors, those got a little momentum this week. Pedro Pascal obviously was the hot name that has been rumored. Uh, Deadline had this. Variety had this. Uh, Pedro Pascal is in talks to play Reed Richards. He's going to be Mr. Fantastic. The deal's not done yet. There's some scheduling stuff to be flushed out, but it seems to be trending in the right way. So you add to the Pedro Pascal thing the fact that Vanessa Kirby has been linked to playing Sue Storm since August. We may have two of the Fantastic Fantastic Four cast finally ready to go with Johnny Storm and the thing uh, yet to be confirmed, though, if you believe what Jeff Schneider of the the, the InSchneider uh, newsletter there or the site, I should say, has to say, he says that Joseph Quinn, a.k.a. Eddie of Stranger Things, uh, is there to play Johnny Storm. He will be the human torch while Evan Moss Backrack, a.k.a. cousin from the bear, is up for the thing. So we may have the Fantastic Four in place. And mm-hmm. it could lead to some fun stuff, especially if Secret Wars is going to be the big, you know, what is it, the sixth, I think, Avengers movie it's going to be, which is could introduce and reintroduce all sorts of characters. Like, we could have this generation's The Human Torch, Johnny Storm, going up against the Chris Evans' first Fox generation Johnny Storm, <laughs> which could be fun uh, because of how the Secret Wars storyline plays out. Maybe, maybe that's fun. I just, I'm, I'm a little over the multiverse right now. But yeah, I mean, if they can <laughs> well, I mean, somehow they gotta, salvage it, look, they got, they got to pivot a bad guy. I don't think they could pivot away from the multiverse. Yeah, no, they're, they're probably in too deep with the multiverse. I guess. I don't know. I mean, maybe you could just cut it off. It's just Ant Man <laughs> saying it was all a joke. Ant Man. Well, maybe the Ant Children just somehow reverse their f up. And the the quantum world is closed. They play this saint elsewhere. The they, it turns out it was just all in an autistic boy's head in a snow globe that he was playing with. <laughs> I mean, that was a series finale on a major TV network broadcast series. That was a saint elsewhere finale. <laughs> oh my! God. It all took place in a kid's head. It's not offensive at all. <laughs> I think uh, people, people, people are America, people baby. Are, <laughs> look, I. So, what do you think? the reason for all of these rumors right now do you think they're you know testing the waters for all these stars at this point i think there's some panic i mean i don't think how how can there not be because i don't think people were blown even if jonathan majors had zero controversy attached right Mm -hmm. there's been a report in variety there's been you can read the tea leaves it doesn't seem like marvel was overly happy with how the kang character was accepted and if he was going to be the next Thanos, for lack of a better term, then there was probably some worry. And now you do have the controversy attached to Majors, rightfully so. You have to replace him. So what do you do? Do you just recast Kang? Do you stick with the Kang storyline? Do you pivot completely to Doctor Doom? I mean, Dan- Destin Daniel Cretton left Avengers Kang Dynasty, so that's a-, a movie without a director. And how could it not be? Because it doesn't seem like Kang is going to be the direction they're going because there's all sorts of rumors that they're going to pivot to Doctor Doom. Who do you cast to play Victor Von Doom? How do you get out of the Kang storyline if you're sticking with the multiverse and move into uh, Von- the Doctor Doom? If that's who- there's all, I think there's a little panic in uh, Kevin Feige's world right now. I wish they would pivot. I really do. I wish they would pivot and go a different direction. Have another summit at uh, some mountain and 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 do the, uh, you know. Well, do, what do you want? Do, so do, pivot where? Where do you want him to go? Where? I don't know. I don't know. I, I haven't read all the. Well, comics, no, but I mean, but pivot. I, oh, say so. Pivot away from Kang. Pivot away, away from, from Kang. Away from the multiverse. Yeah. Away from the multiverse. Away from Kang. 
bring it back to earth, get the X-Men here, get the Fantastic Four here, involve them. They're probably going to be the centerpiece to what you're going to do. I, I, and maybe they're, maybe they, they can they have the ability to do that. Maybe they don't, maybe it's too many movies in the can because a lot of the 2025 movies have been shot already, or at least they've been, you know, the, the wheels are, you know, off the ground on those. Right. So obviously Deadpool three is the 2024 film and the lone MCU film, right? Hopefully that's unscrew upable to put it nicely. And that's a hallmark moment too. That's going to be the mar- the MCU's first official R-rated movie. You're bringing back Hugh Jackman, even though it's a prequel. You're introducing Deadpool into the MCU. I mean, that's that's going to be a big deal. It's going to make a billion and a half dollars, right? I kind of kind of has to. <laughs> I mean, that's that's another reason for panic. That movie can't fall. Right. So, the, like, what's the only thing that? Yeah. I mean, if one of the stars does something horrible but otherwise i would say that that movie is gonna make money there's a floor there's a high floor to that movie which is probably why they're saying all right let's just get our shit together put that movie out in 2024 Mm -hmm. see what we can salvage otherwise and there's there's other things on the horizon the uh, what is the thunderbirds the florence Pugh led one that's uh gonna come out at some point you would think i want to say that's a different title yeah, I, I think so, too. Words. I think so, too. But I'm just going to roll with it. Um, <laughs> the fact that I don't know off the top of my head is not a good sign, either. The the uh, Based on, let's say, some recent things, you would think the X-Men are not that far away. So, we'll see. Thunderbolts. There you go. Sure. Thunderbird, I You're... think, was a car my father had back in the early 90s. And it was also like a show with marionette puppets, wasn't it? Thunderbirds had marionette puppets? I believe so, my friend. All right. You're going to make me look up a lot of things right now. How about a Thunderbird reference and a Saint Elsewhere reference in one MMO show? (laughs) Ben Kingsley was in the Thunderbirds movie. Hans Zimmer did the music in 2004. And you're damn skippy. Marionette puppets. What? All right, Michael. It was a 2004 movie with puppets? Yeah, but it was based on an old TV show. That, I like how I pronounce that, that TV yeah, show. Yeah, I, I mean, emphasis on the wrong syllable, but that doesn't make it okay. <laughs> <laughs> Michael, we got to get into some horror news. Uh, it's it's a bummer. Melissa Barrera fired from Scream 7 uh, because of tweets she made. Uh, and we're not going to get into politics. We're not going to get into the religion. We do want to talk about it from a Hollywood perspective. For a, from a generational perspective and the news today as we're recording this maybe an hour before we hit mm-hmm. record jenna ortega has left the project scream 7 so i don't even know what scream 7 is now even though i love the supporting cast of this this new core four but i'm very bummed out that it's not a core four anymore. It's like the the next two. Like the sisters were the first two, and then the brother sister was like the next two, but they were clearly supporting. So a, it, it it really is a bummer. Yeah. First things first. Let's talk. I mean, it's it's a total bummer. Melissa Barrera tweeted some things about the the Middle East conflicts, and it seems like Paramount took great issue with what she said. Uh, they axed her, and uh, Jenna Ortega left today even though 
the word is from sources in the trades that she had informed Spyglass she would have scheduling conflicts and likely not be a part of Scream 7 going forward. The timing is awfully peculiar that it comes out uh, the day after Melissa Barrera is let go that Jenna Ortega confirms she will no longer be with the Scream franchise. Uh, Again, we're not going to speak on the politics of this uh, other than to say I think there is, as far as how the politics have affected the uh, intergenerational conversation that's going on between Hollywood executives and some of the younger actors. I mean, Gen Z is wildly outspoken about pretty much any political issue, and they take to TikTok, they take to Twitter or X or whatever it is. They they don't care, um, and they're going to stand up and voice their opinion on what's right. The Hollywood executives that are in charge of the studios, if they're going to be so reactionary as to take roles away from Gen Z actors who are outspoken on these issues to the extent of, I don't care that you led this $150 million franchise or this revitalized franchise, I'm firing you. If you're not willing to hear out or at least try to like have a conversation with your younger actors, I think that's going to do you more harm than good in the long run if you're a Hollywood executive. Yeah. That's where I stand on. I think there's a a generational issue here where it seems like the older generation isn't really open to conversations on some issues and is would much rather censure and, uh, I guess, penalize Mm -hmm. rather than hear someone out strictly because they're younger. It's scary if this turns into a blacklist, which is something she tweeted about, actually, because a lot of these Hollywood actors are putting out statements on the war. And this, this is an awful decades long conflict. Yeah. And this is the most recent uh, installment nightmarish yeah. issue. Yeah. I mean, good God. So they're, they're speaking out in favor of one side and it's just, you're going to, you're going to fire them for doing so. Are is what she said exactly right? Is what she said, you know, that offensive? I I, I don't know. I like I really don't know. I don't want to. I don't want to put my own ignorance out there. I've been following things just like everybody else, just like you know, maybe to a lesser extent than you have. But does her comments reach levels of anti-Semitism? Because that's what Spyglass said today. Like these. We have zero tolerance for anti-Semitism and and the incitement of hate in any form. And I think everybody would agree with that. But did her comments get there? I I don't know. I don't know. I'm a white guy in Connecticut, so I don't know. Look, as far as takes on the Middle East that I've seen, and I'm not going to read her tweets, but they seemed... More measured than a lot of takes that I've seen people have on the middle. But again, really? I think the issue is a generational. I truly do. Like, mm-hmm. I, I and I, I talked to Swell about this too. Like, they're not going to Gen Z isn't Gen Z doesn't care. <laughs> it's it's wild. They are a terrifying generation. They're going to stand up for what they think is right, and they're not going to stop. And if they think there's mm-hmm. a, a some kind of mass casualty situation going on, a genocide going on, whatever you want to call it, they're going to speak up about it and they're not going to stop speaking up about it. And if they do that in mass, that's going to cause issues for people who not only disagree with them or see what they're saying as the wrong way, but have the power to affect their profession. I think that's going to be a conflict and we're getting to a point and I tweeted this. I think the chasm between those two sides is going to, it might get to a point where it's irreconcilable. And that's going to cause some issues in Hollywood. Well, is, are they going to fire the next 
star that says something. That's one. Two, is the next star going to want to work with Paramount and Spyglass uh, is another issue as well. Three, I mean, Jenna Ortega has been political about this. And we, again, the story only came out an hour ago. She's saying it has, you know, sources say this has nothing to do with Melissa Barrera's firing. Okay, but, you know, read between the lines here. She said this, she conf- went out to the traits to confirm she was out the day after the Melissa Barrera thing happened. I... I, I there's a lot of extensions about this that are obviously way less important than what's going on in the Middle East. But like you said, we don't want to show our ignorance here. So that's why we're and this is an Oscars show, not a political commentary show. So we're trying to stick to the movie industry in regards to how this plays out. But in terms of the movie industry, Tom Cruise, Susan Sarandon are now in the middle of this story. We have we have yep. her getting dropped by her agency and Tom Cruise sticking up for his agent based based on. Uh, the side was stripped of her being the head of right uh, the movie one one sect of the movie arm in CAA and she was going to be fired but then Tom Cruise showed up at the office to show his support for her which was a class act move I, I mean it's yeah. you, you have yeah. to be able to disagree about a serious subject like this and you can't it's a war it's a you war can't, right and you right. can't be so reactionary as to say I disagree with you I'm taking your job away from you I don't think that's right I don't disagree, uh, but I mean, it, I don't know. It's 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 a. I I can understand, and we we're again we're not going to dissect her comments, but I can understand why people would be offended. Sure, by slap her, her on the wrist in private. Yeah, I mean, I get it, but to, I think this is going to cause. I mean, it already has. If you, I mean, I know Twitter's not real life, but if you look at any social media aspect, anywhere where young people are, there's been all kinds of. I'm not watching any kind of scream movie now. That's, that's That's been the sentiment that's been out there because of how Paramount handled this. And I want to say another thing about Spyglass in particular, not necessarily Paramount, because it sounds like Paramount was behind the decision to fire Melissa Barrera, not Spyglass. But Spyglass has done themselves no favors in my eyes with how they treat uh, leading actresses for since taking over the Scream franchise. Like, the reports that they refused to bump Nev Campbell's pay, so that's why she wasn't in Scream 6, this, I think, quite frankly poisonous press release they put out against Melissa Barrera that's my opinion yesterday and then the handling of the, uh, the handling of not only the Melissa Barrera situation but Jenna Ortega kind of making leaving them at the altar as well as a result of how they handled the Melissa Barrera situation Spyglass to me has some egg on their face here just strictly in terms of how they've treated the leading ladies of Scream well they have no choice but to pivot back to Nev Campbell now right I, I if 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 Matthew Lillard and Stu Mocker isn't in this movie I don't know how it saves itself it has to be Nev, it has to be Courtney Cox, and it has to be Matthew Lillard, I think. Which is devastating because this new Core 4 was awesome. Yep. And it's a shame. It was better in Scream 5 than Scream 6. Even I would, I'd say like Scream 6 was just, was just telling us that, hey, we're going we're gonna to hang with these great characters for a while. And now that's not possible. And, and their biggest star, Jenna Ortega, which was pro- you could have argued she could have took the reins. Yep even though I think the Melissa Barrera character was much stronger. It's it's just a, a total bummer. And they're, they're left doing what now? I, I really don't know. Like Christopher Landon wrote, quote, everything sucks. Stop yelling. This was not my decision to make, unquote. What a pile of shit response. he's in all of a sudden, taking over the uh, reins. This is his first screen project he's going to direct. And now after Radio Silence did the last two, and now. Well, you need a rewrite. You Like there is well, no. There's, yeah, there's no movie to be forward. made right now. And where, right. like you said, where does this leave Jasmine Savoy Brown? Where does this leave Mason Gooding? The two 
brother sister team that are still there are they going to have are they going to you know stand in solidarity with Melissa Barrera and back away from the project who knows I, I also think the sources citing that uh, Jenna Ortega may have wanted too much money to come back to Scream 7 as was written in the Hollywood Reporter article about this Spyglass looks bad you, you already played that card with Nev yeah <laughs> you know it's just it, not good not good all around not good icky story really icky unfortunate well okay so we're gonna actually follow through on a really weird idea that you and i had in the last episode doing a trailer bracket this was your weird idea and i'm weirdly going along with it um yeah but we have 32 trailers that we need to catch up on so how can we discuss these things can we literally go trailer to trailer and discuss them all no that's un- impossible yeah, i would say yes. So we actually seeded the 32 trailers. I seeded them by, in terms of Oscars contender prowess, Yes, I would say. How Oscar-y are these movies, and what is the Oscar likelihood for each one of these movies? So, like, for instance, American Fiction is the number one seed, and it's going to go against the number 32 seed, which is Pokemon Concierge. Yes, but the- I think it's fair to say <laughs> Pokemon Concierge of these movies has the 32nd most Oscar's likelihood. Especially right? because I'm pretty sure it's a TV show and not a movie. Okay. Well, that's, <laughs> that I did not know. I didn't even watch the Pokemon <laughs> Concierge trailer. It was just something that I needed to round out mm-hmm. because I needed a 30-second trailer. Anyway, we had like 30-ish trailers, and we wanted to discuss them matchup to matchup, and we literally did a bracket. You're going to take a quarter of this half of the bracket for this episode. I'm going to take a quarter. We're going to debate our winners for a half a second. We've already done it in the pre-show. So we know the winner, the victor of this half of the bracket, and we'll discuss the next 16 trailers in the next episode, part two of this recording, Michael. But, yeah, we're going to take your your four matchups, your eight trailers, to start here. So they're seeded by how Oscar likelihood they are, but we pick which one's our favorite. Mm-hmm. Okay. Which was not something I was clear on in the beginning, and now I am. So let's go forward with his American fiction against the 32 seed Pokemon Concierge. I, so did you give me the one and two seed on purpose because you thought I would make an impassioned case? And like I asked you to pick orange or green. That's true. That's true. And I already made true. I already right. made half of the bracket orange and half of the bracket green. I don't buy that. I think you changed it regardless <laughs> to make sure that I would play ball here. But that's fine. <laughs> I won't go off the, the rails too much. Clearly American fiction is the better trailer. There's a great joke in there too. I didn't give enough credit for the first time around. Jeffrey Wright asking John Ortiz's permission that John Ortiz agrees that the book that Jeffrey Wright wrote be black enough, which is yeah, hysterical. It is a funny trailer, and I've seen it a bunch, and uh, I'm glad I don't have to watch the trailer for Pokemon Concierge. <laughs> no no offense to Pokemon fans. But, uh, all right, so you, you have that matchup. Your next matchup is the 16-17, the Boys in the Boat versus the Teacher's Lounge, which is the German entry to Best International Feature. This, it's close, but it's blind patriotism maybe xenophobia <laughs> at play here no, i mean well no. you have like the the nazis are in one and you want that feeling of we're gonna beat you no matter what it's a christmas movie i took the boys in the boat for all those shallow reasons even though it's close it's a good trailer the boys in the boat if, solid, if this was a, a 1984 trailer. academy they'd be flipping out right now over the uh, I did, oscar prospects of the boys in the i did see the boys in the boat trailer before napoleon last night so it was was a solid trailer in my mind. I'm curious to watch the Teachers Lounge trailer. Are you are you in for that movie? 
It looked when I first thought we were doing this by how Oscar likelihood it was. Uh, each of these movies was the, the teachers' lounge looks interesting, but I thought there was no way it'd be nominated for anything because it seems way too dark of a a premise, oh, really? which is up our alley. I mean, okay, but I did not up any Academy's alley. But yeah, it looks intriguing, certainly. All right, uh, your next matchup is Inside Out Two, which is an Oscars twenty twenty five possibility for animated feature i would say and the movie drift which who, who's the star of drift michael is uh, from harriet right yeah after an awkward edit cynthia erivo where neither one of us could think of uh, her name there <sighs> unfortunately but we're yeah. so old yeah, it's, it's just we're old. we don't have it written down it's just not happening she's not going to be nominated for five oscars this year so we forgot, <laughs> we forgot. Uh, nor will she be nominated she's... for five oscars for drift i don't think Okay. But but it's coming out in like March. February right? was the release date. February, yeah. Okay. Uh, so so right there. I I I picked nits on this one because the Inside Out Two trailer you gave me wasn't the plot based trailer. It was the first yeah. teaser that Disney released, which had nothing to do with the new character of Anxiety that we see in the the official trailer. It had nothing to do with really any plot points that were going going forward Inside Out Two. So I went with Drift only because you have the full premise of what that movie is going to be about in that. How it's a, okay. a displaced uh, American in, in a Greece, I think it was. She meets Alia Shawkat, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. Oh, does Drift, Drift looks intriguing enough? It's fine. Again, I didn't watch. I didn't watch. Okay, so that's a that's a pillow fight then. Yeah. Drift, Drift won a pillow fight. How about Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes? That is the eighth seed versus the 25th seed, which I did see the trailer for The Sweet East. Yeah, what do you like more? A film 100% relying on CGI and talking animals or something being marketed akin to a 70s snuff film complete with political fear-mongering and nonsensical cosplay? What? The Sweet East looks... Especially this trailer. You didn't watch it yet? Did I watch it? it? Did I watch this the trailer? First I don't Sweet remember East the tra- film. Yeah, so the first Sweet East trailer we previewed is not what this trailer is. It's bizarre. Oh, maybe I This trailer looks bizarre. It. I'm not no, exactly not sure what it is. I didn't know. I don't even remember Jacob Elordi in the first. Trip. Well, is he in the second? Trip? He's prominently featured in the second one, and that's why I picked Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes because it's close. But I'll be goddamned if I'm going to give a tie to Jacob Elordi. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, that's your side of the bracket, at least in terms of the first round. Let, let's play yours out, though. Okay. Um, let's play yours out. So you have the boys in the boat going against American, American fiction. fiction. Yeah. And again, it's kind of like, for me, if I was inundated with propaganda by a 1980s academy, I would pick the boys in the boat, no issue. As the, but, be, but we're you, in this... Go ahead. You're picking the better trailer, though. You don't Well, this to. is what I'm saying. But, 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 you know, don't you think taste is influenced by context? You don't have to go against anybody's context here. You can pick <laughs> your own best movie. You're missing my point. You're missing my point. I agree. I agree with what you're saying. I go with my own taste, but I think my current taste now are if influenced by the current context of the time, the same as if we were having this discussion in 1983. For somebody who hates time travel debates, <laughs> you love circular arguments. I don't know what you're... You don't have to debate yourself based if on what you your were taste alive, might have If you were yourself in 1983, you don't think you would have different tastes and I favorites just and things? I wouldn't pull that out. As a, a, a piece of the rubric. Well, that's why I have my mind. <laughs> For an arbitrarily... Arbitrarily... Tra- oh, my God. For an arbitrary trailer bracket that that's we right. just made up. 
you are thinking about your taste, what yeah. it would have been in 1983, yeah. and you're making that a piece of your argument. Because that's when, I mean, the boys in the boat would win. In a runaway, they would win. But because we are where we are now, what it's American fiction. What the soundtrack was? What? What are you doing? Movie that won, it's the sports movie that won the best picture in 19... Uh, Chariots of Fire? Yeah, it was a sports movie that won. Was a, that was your Chariots it, of Fire? It was a British movie that won. Anyway, but that one in, was it 1983 or was one of those years? 82? Oh, my God. What happened here? This has gone off the rails. I wanted to have a simple nonsense <laughs> bracket, and it's gone off the rails. But, okay, where the hell were we? You had Planet of the Apes, Kingdom of the Planet of the yeah. Apes versus drift it, it's it's apes it's apes so you, now looks, you have looks far more kingdom of the planet of the apes versus american fiction i want to pick kingdom of the planet of the apes but american fiction is not only I, I think it's a funnier trailer i'm more intrigued to see jeffrey wright it's an oscar trailer as well these are all things that appeal to me all right so yeah american fiction wins my my side of the bracket here. okay so let's see which wins mine i have the zone of interest the four seed against mean girls the musical I'm going to go with the zone of interest. There's enough intrigue there, even though I've seen the zone of interest at a film festival. There's enough intrigue to make me want to rewatch the movie, which was hard to do because those are hard set, even though it was a very good film. The mean, the mean girls musical is typically frustrating in terms of musical trailers, Michael, because we don't get any of the songs except for one. (laughs) Yeah, there's no music. There's one background song. So there's a ton of cheesy dialogue and corny jokes in the Mean Girls musical trailer. But the reason I would watch that movie is because it's a musical. I think that movie is going to make a ton of money, too. I hope it does. I hope Renee it, Rapp is, is very hot right now. I hope it's a better movie than it is a trailer. So I'm going to go with the zone of interest. The next matchup I have is the Perfect Days, Koji Yakusho movie, uh, the Japanese selection uh, for Best International Feature, the, the janitor listening to music. Of course. And he's listening to music in this trailer. It's very That's boring. That's what the, the, the title of the movie should be, by the way. <laughs> Janitor listening to music yes. while he cleans toilets. <laughs> but it's great music, the movie. Yes. <laughs> so that's the 13th seed going against Madam Web, which is a dreadful trailer. It's awful. Dakota Johnson is expressionless the entire thing. And I just, I just don't understand what's happening. You have this one spider baddie just marching around, punching people, and you have apparently a bunch of spider women that are going to fight him, which is fine, but have a better trailer for that. Like, Yeah, I did not like this trailer at all. So the fact that you have the audacity to make Lou Reed's Perfect Day the theme of <laughs> Perfect Days the trailer, I'm going to pick yep. Perfect Days. So, all right, so if I went with the zone of interest versus Perfect Days... Oh, boy, that's tough. I'm going to go with Perfect Days again. Wow. Because, you know, the zone of interest, I have no, like, I want to see Perfect Days, and I'm intrigued to see Perfect Days. Even though it's a very boring start of the trailer, I like the intrigue of him with his niece, and he's reconnecting to his niece, and he's also listening to good music. So I'll go there. All right. My next matchup is 12 Seed Saltburn, which I'm going to see probably when we stop recording today. <laughs> okay. I'm going to see Saltburn ASAFP because I can't wait to see it. Very good trailer. This was much better than the teaser, I thought. It has the crescendo 
where where he puts you know he's in silhouette with the purple oh my god he's got the antlers on and the elvis jacket what a trailer the fall guy was also a very good trailer so who the hell seeded these this is stupid i got two (laughs) anyway this is how it happens but the fall guy pretty fun trailer with uh emily blunt and ryan gosling you got this uh behind the scenes movie making storyline kind of leading into the story I, I look forward to seeing the fall guy but a stunt man again starring ryan gosling fine with that saltburn beats it much more put together trailer you didn't Just, take off enough points for jacob alordi's involvement yeah well i i added points for carrie mulligan's outfit and i okay. added <laughs> points for rosamund pike's snarkiness like existence sh- her yeah. swarminess sure snarkiness these big words that I don't understand that I think are cool. Smarmy. Smarmy. I loved it. I love the smarm. So I'm going to go with Saltburn. Dune 2 versus Anyone But You. This is the best Dune trailer, by the way. And this is easily the best Dune 2 trailer. It's an epic trailer. It's very good. But how do you come away from the Anyone But You trailer? (laughs) And if you have a sex drive, which mine is barely working, but it is there. Like, how do you watch that trailer and say, I'm not going to see this movie? Of course, this is anyone but you is what movies should be. Let's just take the two hottest people we could possibly find and make them have sex with each other on screen. And and there's your film. And it works with Glenn Powell and Sidney Sweeney. Mike, the mics say the darndest things, don't we? (laughs) Tell me. It is what it is. Tell me that wasn't the premise of this movie. That's what it is. Of course it is. Of course it is. Anyone but you. They're too hot. We're all going to see it because they're so hot. Mm -hmm. The movie. Anyone but you, it's really just, who's not going to see this movie? It's a real Cinderella. It's like, remember Northern Illinois when they had Sister Jean that one year and the public got behind them? (laughs) I mean, everyone's going to get behind anyone but you here, even though the 28th seed. But here's what's good about anyone but you. There's a couple of jokes that are very funny in the trailer. I I laughed loudly um, over my red face because I'm so attracted to everybody in that trailer. (laughs) So if... If you get there over the awkwardness, you love that trailer. And I'm going to even pick anyone but you over Saltburn and over Perfect Days. So there you go. Anyone make but a, you. Make a magical run, anyone but you. Anyone but you goes on the run. And, and, and you know, where they're cutting down the nets, possibly, or not. What We have American Fiction versus anyone but you. The Oscar pundits in us both are saying, are we really going to go with this cheesy rom-com that looks And I don't like rom-coms, by the way. It's a great trailer. Like, anybody who watches that trailer is like, all right, I'm seeing that movie. I don't like rom-coms, but I appreciate hot people fornicating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all right, so what are you going to go? Or you can go with the substantive, maybe the best picture sleeper right now. But, I mean, look, it, the substantive best picture sleeper, Jeffrey Wright, I did watch that trailer. He He's very funny in it. You have a, a, a supporting cast that's going to be great. And George Mason rarely wins the title, right? <laughs> like, they, they're, they're great stories, but they usually fall short They somewhere. usually fall short. Yeah. They do. So so. Has to, I do wonder what anyone but you's best picture chances are, though. <laughs> <laughs> no, American Fiction's the better trailer. Yeah, that's, that's the pick. All right, so American Fiction's going to square off with a movie from our next episode. There you go. Uh, Stay tuned for that. That'll be in part two, which will be out, like I said, uh, 
This should be out. This episode should be out on Thursday, part two. I'm hoping maybe Friday, probably Saturday, at worst Sunday. It depends on how much turkey and leftover turkey I have in my system <laughs> over the next few days here. But as always, dear listener, what matters most to us are your thoughts. How would you seed these movies for this side of the bracket? What would your winners be? Who would you have coming out of this side of the bracket? As well, what are your takes on any of the stories we had in this? The uh, Melissa Barrera firing, the Marvel news, the reviews that we gave you, or of course the news that Jimmy Kimmel will be hosting this year's Oscars. Let us know all that as well as any other thoughts, comments, questions, or concerns you have about anything we do here in the MMO Empire. As always, you can leave us those on our social medias. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook and Instagram at MM and Oscar on Twitter, Mike, Mike, and Oscar at gmail.com.com and on Reddit. We're available wherever you do hear podcasts. And if you're listening to us on either the Apple Podcasts or Spotify app, if you appreciate what we do here, if you wouldn't mind leaving us a five-star review, those help us out immensely. Thank you to everyone who has done so thus far. Uh, Michael, the people know what's coming next. Let's have some words of wisdom to end on. Well, it is clearly why to have a very happy Thanksgiving. And I guess if you can't, you go. go out and watch the movies, you know, because there's a yeah. lot of good movies out there right now. We'll review more in the next Oscar race checkpoint for sure. I would like to, I'm going to keep tabs. Well, I say this, but I'm going to try to remember to keep tabs on uh, the ticket availability for some of the new releases this weekend specifically, see how many people are getting out there. You know it would help you to do that? <laughs> What's that? You could go into your A-list at any moment. It's an app on your phone. You could just check. Not familiar with this. <laughs> A-list? I do it all the time. I do it all the time. I just pop in my A-list app. I was like, how many people are seeing this movie? How many people are seeing that movie? I can look at each screening. It's it's become like something I'm addicted to do now. It's like A-list. Tom Bergerman of IndieWire says he does that, and now I'm going to do it all the time. Love it. My favorite thing. The A is set. Is it a list? <laughs> I'll join it someday. God damn. I don't you know, this is This is, this is, I realize this is my problem with getting out to the movies in general lately. And I, I had this epiphany last night. Mm-hmm. Like going to a movie right now for me is generally like a four to five hour experience. Because if I see a super long movie, there is no theater near me anymore that is not an hour round trip minimum. Mm-hmm. So if I sit through previews at an AMC and then I sit through a long ass movie and then I have to drive in traffic home during rush hour or whenever it is, like that's a that's a four hour experience. So if the movie sucks on top of it, I'm of, of course I'm furious. So you're saying uh, Killers of the Flower Moon better be good if you're going to go see it. Well, if I'm seeing it at home, that's fine. It could be bad. I could pause it. I could lie about watching it. I want you to go and like movies. That's why I recommended you did not see that movie in theaters. But Napoleon, I'm I'm worried that of you seeing Napoleon in theaters, which is probably why we won't do an Oscar race checkpoint or an Oscar profile on it. So we'll just cover it in the next episode as a review segment, and you can cover it when you when you do see it. But that's mm. a two hour and forty minute movie, right? Half and if hour I didn't of trailers. Like it, plus an hour round trip minimum minimum if not longer of commute and if i don't like it i'll set the building on fire (laughs) (laughs) i shit the building on fire it's me and my stapler (laughs) i'm glad we had the meltdown before the next episode happy thanksgiving happy thanksgiving Um, Mike is trying to discourage you all from going, but uh, no, I'm not. no, I am not at all. I am not at all. This is a, a me issue. Totally Mike one issue. Mm-hmm. Well, happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> Guys, when reality sucks. 
You can come be thankful with us. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar trying to make awards season year-round without the stuffiness, but with the stuffing. We will see you all very soon. <laughs> with the stuffing, yes. <laughs> see ya.